0: Today, as we open God's Word, I want us to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. But as we do that, I just want to share a little bit about some of uh, where we used to live. When we lived in Zambia, some of you may have been in, in places like that, but uh, uh, in different parts of the world where maybe security was a bit more of an issue. And we used to live, uh, the place we lived was behind a wall. We had a wall fence all around the, the property that we, that we lived on. And uh, that was really, the, the point of all of that, of course, was to keep the, uh, uh, keep the bad guys out. Uh, you face certain threats at times, uh, not really of personal security so much, but certainly of, uh, uh, of, of robbery, thieves and robbers coming in. And so we had this wall fence that had electric fence around the top of that, and uh, there was a couple of gates. There was one pedestrian gate, there was one vehicle gate uh, that we had that you could get into the property uh, on. And there was a watchman at the gate, and he would let people in and out, and he would, uh, he would keep an eye on things uh, that were happening just to make sure everything was secure. Well, in that, sort of, in that sort of culture, in that place, there was a feeling of security you got when you arrived home, when you got through the gate, through the wall, in behind that uh, fenced area, there was a certain sense of security that we had. A certain sense of of peace would come on. Part of of it was because you were at home. So, you you know, we always feel peaceful at home. That should be a place uh, of rest and relaxation. That's what home should be for us. And so, you got home. And so you felt that security. You were in some place, not, never fully safe, because we, we never are, but at least at some level uh, we felt safe and secure. Now, of course, bad guys could still come over the wall, and they did occasionally. Uh, they would come through the wall, never at our place, but at other places they would actually come through the wall. Uh, but uh, But you did feel a certain sense of security there. In the back of your mind, you know, though, that our, secure, our only real security is in God. Uh, it's not in the wall that surrounds us, in the physical wall that surrounds us. But we trust God to keep us safe and secure, to protect us and watch over us. But there was a certain security that we felt behind that wall. Jesus uses that image of a wall, a gate, a gatekeeper, sheep, shepherds, thieves, and robbers. These are all things that we easily relate to that we can understand. And Jesus uses that image here in John chapter 10 to help teach a lesson. So let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. Verse 1, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. of a sheep pen, shepherds and sheep, and maybe as you as as I was reading that, maybe some things were coming into your mind, some ideas of a sheep pen and, and shepherds. Maybe if you're into Minecraft, maybe an, an image like this came in. This is a, a Minecraft version of a sheep and a a, 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 a sheep pen. Uh, maybe something more like this uh, came to mind. This is uh, this is a, also a sheep pen made of stone. Um, happening here? Okay? Okay. And more likely, it was more like something like this in Jesus' day uh, with a shepherd, a very a rudimentary sort of sheep pen, but something to keep the animals uh, safe, in control, somewhere you could watch over them. So perhaps this is more of the kind of thing that, uh, that Jesus was, uh, was thinking about. So Jesus tells us Lots of interesting things in this passage. There's lots of things that we could look at here. But there's just a couple that I want us to kind of focus on this morning. Uh, Jesus tells us in verses 7 and 9 that He is the gate. And this is one of a series of passages in the Gospel of John that we, are, that we call the I Am passages. Where Jesus says, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am, uh, I am the gate. Here he says. And, he, and, and one of them is he simply says, I am. And so there's a, there's a series of passages when you read the Gospel of John where he says, I am. He's telling us something about himself. He's, he's identifying himself and helping us to understand who Jesus is. Who he is. He wants people to know. He's not trying to, to hide. He's not trying to, to keep himself a secret. But he wants people to understand who he is. And so he says, I am. And so he starts out uh, first here. uh, He says, I am. So as we think about this idea of sheep and shepherd and a sheep pen, we keep in mind that Jesus is the gate in that mental picture of what's happening. Jesus is the gate. Of course, he's using some kind of literary device here, uh, perhaps an allegory, uh, just to help us understand something. He's not really a gate, but but he is in a way. And so when we look at this, we see Jesus coming uh, as the gate. Um, just in the next verse, Jesus uh, in verse 11, which we aren't going to look at today, but uh, Jesus goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd. So he actually in using this image, Jesus puts himself in this image of a sheep, shepherds, gates, gateskeeper, all this sort of thing, actually in two places in this image. The gate. And the good shepherd. So Jesus uh, is in this uh, picture twice Himself. So He is trying to teach us something about who He is and what He means to us. So the uh, the first point here, the first thing that we're looking at here is that He is the gate. Why is He telling this story? Why is Jesus giving us this image of the sheep and the shepherd, the sheep pen and the gate, and the gatekeeper, the thieves and the robbers, why is he telling us this? He's making a point to his disciples, to the Pharisees that are there listening as well. He's trying to tell them something, get them to understand something about himself. So he starts out with a very common, familiar image. In that's verses uh, verses one to one to five, he paints that picture of that sheep and the shepherd and sitting in a in their pen, and things are are fairly calm, except there might be these thieves and robbers. But it says in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what He was telling them. They didn't get it. They were puzzled. They knew enough. They were wise enough that they knew when He was telling them this story that He wasn't just telling them about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens and thieves and robbers. He knew there was something else going on here. They knew. They knew. The Pharisees knew there was something else happening here in this story. It wasn't just as straightforward as something a story about sheep and a shepherd. And so they don't, they don't get it. So they're trying to figure out what is he actually talking about? Because they knew he wasn't just talking about sheep and a shepherd. He, because he even places himself in this story. He, uh, what is it that he's trying to get at here? Maybe they couldn't try to understand who all the figures in the story were because Jesus up in, in the, up until verse five, he hasn't said that who he is. He's just told them a story about sheep and shepherds, and so they're trying to think: what What does this mean? What does this mean? What's he trying to get at? Jesus is talking about an ordinary thing, but what's his point? Maybe one of the things running through their mind that was causing them some kind of confusion were passages in what we would call the Old Testament. But for them, the Scriptures, and these are Pharisees. They would have known the Scriptures very well. So as soon as Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherd, their minds might have been going to places where god himself talks about being the shepherd of israel all this talk of sheep and shepherds they're thinking is he talking about god what kind of passage what kind of passages is jesus referring to here what is he what is he trying to get at and so they would have they would have been thinking about god in times Like this, and and as Jesus talked about uh, these passages, they might have been thinking about passages like Psalm chapter 80, verses 1 to 4, where it says, For the director of music to the tune of the lilies of the covenant of Asaph, a psalm, hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awake, your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, O Lord God Almighty, will your anger smoulder against the prayers of your people? This is just the beginning of this song, but you, uh, of, of the psalm, Psalm chapter eighty. But you see, you see the connection here. Oh, he, he's talking here. The, the the psalmist is talking about the shepherd of Israel. And he connects that shepherd of Israel that he mentions in verse 1 to verse 3, O God. Of verse 4, O Lord God Almighty. So these are all the same. So when Jesus starts talking about sheep and a shepherd, they're going to be thinking, is he talking about the shepherd of Israel? Is he talking about God? uh, uh, The Lord of hosts? The Lord God Almighty? Is that who he's talking about in in this passage? He might be, they might be thinking, their minds might be going to Psalm 23. And we read that at the call to worship this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, uh, shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. So they're thinking that this is, this is God Himself in this picture. And the, in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, there's a passage of, of, about a watchman. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. Someone to look over them. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. So this is someone who is speaking on behalf of God. And there's a watchman in this picture of John chapter 10, verses 1 and 5. A watchman, a gatekeeper, someone who is, who is taking care of things, who is watching over things, making sure that the right people are in the right place. And so Jesus has their attention. He's got them thinking. They're wondering who is He talking about? What exactly is this guy trying to tell us here? They know He's not really talking about a sheep and shepherd. He's not talking about those little furry animals that run around and there's a, a guy who looks after them and corrals them into a pen. He, they know He's not talking about that. But they, they, were probably, they, they had an idea He was talking about God. And so they don't understand. And that's what the Bible tells us in verse 6. That they uh, simply don't understand this. And so Jesus has has to explain this to them. But there's some elements of the story that we can understand fairly easily. We don't need to be farmers or shepherds to understand uh, that those who climb over the walls to get at the sheep are not the ones who should be there. That the ones who should be there would go in through the gate and they would pass by the watchman. They would exchange a greeting to them, to the gatekeeper as they go through the gate. And they would have the, the normal pleasantries that we, that we have, that we enjoy with others as we see them. Good morning. How are you? How's your family today? What are you, how is it, how are things here at the sheep pen? They would have that sort of exchange if you're climbing over the back wall of the sheep pen. You shouldn't be there. We understand that. We don't need to be a farmer to understand that. We understand that the sheep will, will, will follow their shepherd. The watchman will know the shepherds and they will let the, the shepherds in. The gate is there to control the coming and going of the sheep and who has them. And so there's all sorts of things that we can uh, relate to. But after that story, we get back uh, to the explanation. So Jesus has to explain this to them. Jesus tells them that He is the gate for the sheep. He says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He lets them in and out. He controls their movements. He is the one who blocks or allows the, the passage of the sheep. When it's uh, dangerous to go out, he's uh, the the, the the gate is not going to open to let them out. When he wants them back in the sheep pen, the gate's going to open and let them in. And working alongside this is a gatekeeper going along with the working along the gate. Uh the gate in this allegory though we don't see the gatekeeper really as as uh being anyone in particular. We don't need to go looking for every significance of every blade of grass in this uh in this picture that Jesus is painting here. But Jesus is the gate it's interesting that he is also it says in verse eleven that he is the shepherd, so he's got more to do in our lives than just um, just being the gate there's more that he is doing uh, than just controlling that but what does this what does this look like for us? you know we don't we, we may be able to understand this a little bit, but we, we aren't really—we aren't really farmers. Uh, not many of us, anyway. I don't think. Uh, I think we're all urban city folks here. And so, in 2017, maybe uh, the image that Jesus would use would be someone at the boarding gate at the airport, controlling who uh, goes into the uh, to get on the to get on the airplanes. You have to have all your ID ready, your boarding pass and your passport. You have to show that, and they scan you and search you and uh, go through your luggage, and then to make sure that you really should be there. If you just imagine what would happen if you try and bypass that security, all of a sudden you're you're going to be looked on with a lot of suspicion, and you're going to be very carefully checked out if you try and, and if you try and avoid any of that security. I was in an airport in the United States one time. This was shortly after 9/11, and uh, it was so you'd gone through security. But uh, I don't know if any of you remember this, but but they had security an, uh, another security check right before you went on the airplane. So they so you got to your gate, and then there was a yet another security check just before you got on the airplane. And so this this one particular day, I was sitting at the gate. I wasn't. Uh, Uh, I wasn't uh, boarding that flight. I was boarding the next flight at that gate. So everybody had gone and they had boarded the airplane. They'd gone through that last security check just before the plane was about to board. I could see the gate attendants, the the gate uh, folks were were trying to close the gate and, and get the flight ready to go. And some guy comes running up and he wants to get on that plane. And generally at those security checks... They just did a kind of a a simple check. But he tried to run right through the security and of course the security guards just came, you know, right up to him and stopped him. And he said, look, I need to get on that plane. And I was sitting close enough I could hear this. And he said, look, I gotta get on that plane. I know they're just about to close the doors, but I need to get on that plane. And they said, you're going for the extra security check. Because it was a little suspicious that some guy at the very last minute would come running up. And so they got a little suspicious that something funky was happening here. And they checked him out and they let him on the plane and it was all okay. But we we, we understand that 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 if you try and, and get into this some other way, if you try and get into the boarding gate, if you try and get on the plane, if you try and get into the sheep pen in some extraordinary way, there's some suspicion there. Because Jesus says in verse eight, "All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The bad guys had come before Jesus. they were thieves and robbers trying to sneak in and steal the sheep. The sheep were uh, new enough, were smart enough to know that they shouldn't follow that person, but they didn't so they didn't go, so it didn't he says it didn't. Uh, uh, they didn't listen, so their, their attempt to steal didn't work, but nonetheless, they were still there. Who is Jesus talking about here? Who had come before Him? Well, He wouldn't have been talking about the prophets. He wouldn't have been talking about the patriarchs like Abraham. He wouldn't have been talking about people like Moses because even though those people had come before Jesus, they weren't, uh, Jesus held those ones in high regard. Those wouldn't have been uh, the, the ones, the, the thieves and robbers who had come before him. Who would those have been? Who could it have been that Jesus was talking about? In all likelihood, it was those who were standing right there listening to him, the Pharisees. Jesus called them out right there on the spot as they're listening. Those are the thieves and robbers. And those, the, the nation of Israel, had known those uh, who had uh, come from within and had not done their jobs. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 10 to 12, the prophet Isaiah uh, gives a warning. And he, he, he refers to those who are in amongst them. And he says, His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Isaiah is talking about those who, the watchmen who are not doing their job. So the nation of Israel had known in the past about people who had come and who were supposed to be doing something and they weren't. And who were, in fact, uh, making the situation worse. And so Jesus is saying that the ones who come before Him are thieves and robbers. And He's pointing at the Pharisees, these false teachers, the ones who are leading God's people astray. The people don't follow though, but they're there. And so, this is a problem. Jesus goes on and He says in verse 9 that I am the gate. I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through Me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way that leads to salvation. He says whoever enters through Him through the right gate is going to be saved. No one, he says, comes to the Father except through through me. Jesus is that gate into eternal life, into salvation. No one comes to Jesus. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. What does it mean to be saved? He gives us a bit of insight into that in verse 10. He says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus comes. He gives us that salvation. He gives us that eternal life. He gives us that full life. Not a life that ends at our death, but a life that goes on after our physical death. A life with God. Keeping us safe and watching over us. This is eternal life that Jesus is talking about. Why do we need being saved from that? What are we being saved from? We're saved from the penalty of our sin that brings death. And Jesus says, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will provide that safety for you, that security for you. I will give you that eternal life. I will take the penalty for your sin if you come to Me. And that's what He is providing for us. And He looks after us. He gives us freedom. And He lets us go and find that food and water. Jesus provides that security for us. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. That's what we're saved from. And then Jesus goes on and He contrasts the motives and the actions of some against Him. The thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to give us life. The thief is bent on destruction, on destroying, on tearing things down. Presumably, he's doing this for his own gain. Jesus is coming to benefit us. He is the gate to give us that life. It doesn't help him at all, but it helps us. It's all for our benefit. Whereas the thief comes for his benefit, not for us. So as we come to this passage, as we look at this and we understand what Jesus is saying, there's two questions that come to my mind here. There's lots of things we could explore, but there's two main questions that come to my mind as I read this passage. Have you entered that gate? Have you taken that step of coming to Jesus and laying your sin at His feet and asking forgiveness from that sin? Our sin is a sin against God Himself. The things we do wrong are sins against God. And they need a payment. There's always payment for our wrongdoing. When God knows everything that's happened in our lives, all that we've done, He knows the good and the bad we've done. And there's a payment that needs to be paid for the things that we've done wrong. It's kind of a legal transaction there. That you've done something wrong. The one who is in authority, the one who is sovereign over us demands a payment for that wrong. And that payment is our life. And Jesus comes. And He sacrifices Himself for us so we don't have to give up our life, but we can gain eternal life. And that's what He says, I am the gate. I am the gate to eternal life. Have you come to that? Have you come through that gate? That's one question that we need to wrestle with when we look at this passage. The second question I see is, do you have life to the full? We might skip over that. That very last little phrase in verse 10. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Let's stop and think for a minute or two what it means to have life to the full. What does that mean to us? That uh, uh, having life, Life to the full. It means we are fully living for Jesus, that we're put aside other cares, other concerns, other priorities, but we are fully living for Jesus. Let me give you some passages that we can think about as we consider living life to the full. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five. Paul writes, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me suggest that this is part of what it looks like to live life to the fullest. is We have taken every thought and made it captive and obedient to Christ. The last part of that verse. Think about that. Think about what Paul is saying. Every thought, every thought that we have, make it take it captive. Don't release it. Don't let it grow, but take it captive. Hold it. Bind it up. And make it obedient to Christ. Take it captive. Obedient to Christ. Not to our self, not to our own fleshly desires, but obedient to Christ. That's a huge challenge. How do we, all, every thought that passes through our mind, take it captive and make it obedient, make it go along with what Christ wants us to do with our lives? That's a real challenge if we're honest with ourselves. I don't know your thoughts. I know my own. And they stray. My thoughts stray. They're not always pure and holy. Sometimes even your words don't come out right. But those words, they start with the, with the thoughts. I remember one time, it was years ago, after our, our truck had been stolen, and one of my kids asked me, what do you think happened to those guys who stole our truck? And I said, I hope they got in a horrible accident and died a long, painful death. <laughs> even before it came out. And I realized, that is not taking a thought captive and obedient to Christ. It should be a spirit of forgiveness. Even in those very difficult things, in those kind of situations in life, it should be a spirit of forgiveness in our hearts. As soon as I said it, I realized that is not the right attitude to have here. Okay? It's understandable, but not the right one to have. But what does it look like? When we live life to the full, we have taken every thought captive and made it obedient to Christ. That's one thing it might look like. Another thing it might look like is in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. And maybe it's not just one of these. Maybe it's all of these and even more. But in Galatians five twenty-two and twenty-three, he says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law." So Paul again is writing this is uh, uh, about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, to have that fruit of the Spirit. Do we have these things in our life? Maybe we don't have them all fully. And probably if we did a survey, some of us would be you know, good in this one. We'd have lots of joy, but maybe we're not very patient. And we'd all have a, a range of things. We'd be good in some things, weaker in others. But what's the general trend in life? Is it growing in all of these things? Are we doing better day by day in each one of these things? When we fall a little bit short in one of them. When we run out of patience. Do we recognize that and say, I need to work on that? Are we growing in these things? That's what it would look like to have life to the full. is We are growing in these things. These fruit of the Spirit. That might be something for us. Another one that I can suggest here this morning is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. And he says, Whatever you do, this is Paul again. He says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Does that look like living life to the full? Living life to its fullest? Is whatever we do, working at it with all of our heart as though we are serving God? Whatever we might do. That's a challenge. Because often our life looks something like this. And we tend to, we tend to do this. We tend to compartmentalize our lives. We have our family life over here, our spiritual life, our social life, our work life, whatever aspects of your life. And you can put in whatever aspects of your life you want there. And you, and you keep them compartmentalized. You, you don't like to socialize with the people at work. You, uh, you've got your family, but they're not really your social support network. You, maybe you've got a few minutes on Sunday mornings that you come and you take care of your spiritual life and then you put it off in the shelf or you... You put the cap on that bottle until next week. Is that what life, living life to the fullest, looks like? Is that what a Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 life looks like? Where we give everything to God, we do everything as though we're serving God? Maybe what our life, our Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 life, should look like. Is our spiritual life, our walk with God, washes over and colors every part of our life. Our social life, our family life, our work, everything we do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord as though you're serving Him. Whatever it is you're doing is an act of service to God. That would be a full life. That would be living life to the fullest. When you get out of bed every morning, you say, this day is God's day. This day is the day that God has given to me. I'm going to serve Him today doing whatever it is I do today. I'm going to take that as the attitude of my heart. And I'd suggest that that is part of what living life to the fullest looks like. Is when all of our life is impacted by our relationship with Jesus. It's not just one little bit of our life, but our whole life is impacted by Christ. Christ isn't someone that you just go and you uh, bring into your life on Sunday morning for a couple hours. But Christ should be someone that fills your whole life and your whole life overflows with Him and what He wants you to be doing. And so these are things that I think about as I think about having life to the full. That last little bit that Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 1 to 10, that we come, we have life, and have it to the full. Jesus gives us this image of a gate, a familiar image, to help us understand something about Him. And I think what He wants us to, to think about today is, do I have life to the full? Do I really have this life? that Jesus offers, and am I living it to the fullest that He wants me to? He is the gate. He's looking after us. He's watching over us. He's allowing us to come in and out and He's impacting us along the way. That's what that's what Jesus wants to do with our lives. As we think on John chapter ten, verse one and one to ten, are we Really accepting Jesus as the gate? Or is he just part of our, just a small part of our lives? Is he really there for us and active in our lives and a key part of our daily walk? Let's consider that as we walk through our week this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us your word, you've given us this image of a sheep and shepherd and a gate. And Jesus, You've said You are the gate. We come into the sheep pen only through You. Lord, help us to take that step to really enter through You. To come into that safety and security of eternal life through You. And as we do that, Lord, may You wash over into every aspect of our lives. We ask that You would show us those areas where we need to let You touch. We need to let You work on us in. Lord, we know that some areas we're not doing well, we're not really following You. Lord, give us the courage to stand for You in those things. Help us to do what we need to do. Help us to do what You want us to do. And Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way it teaches us, instructs us, and helps us to walk closer with You. We pray that You would help us do that this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.